This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Prolific. Prolific helps researchers find research participants on demand with a pool of 75,000 active participants in North America and Europe. Everything Hurts listeners who want to give online sampling a go can get $50 in free Prolific credit that they can use to recruit participants. Just go to prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. That's prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. When I caught the bus back at Sydney Uni, um, occasionally I caught it with this super friendly bloke who worked in finance. And I was chatting to him, I'm like, mate, how's your day? He's like, yeah, we had a bit of a heart attack. Um, because we were going through some of the accounts and we, we were looking through the physics account and we saw that they purchased four jet skis and we're like, we, we called them up going, what's going on? And they're like, no, this has to be a mistake. They actually found out they'd mixed up the marine biology account with the physics account. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, all right, jet skis, cool. Go, go, go ahead. Keep spending money on jet skis. <laughs> Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, we, we are apparently, according to Wikipedia, we are a pop science podcast. What do you think about all that? What do I think about being a pot, so pop? What, did I say pot science podcast? Pot, pot science? Actually, we, we, that we, would we go that, that way. would work. That would work these days. I'm almost certain that there's one out there somewhere reviewing the new strains of sativa and all the rest of that. Oh, dear, people are fierce for that. You walk down the street in Boston, and you smell. You're like, oh my god, it smells like the seventies here. This is amazing. <laughs> Well, I mean, I wasn't in the 70s, so I mean, what would I know? I'm a young, young man, Daniel. But what do I think about being called a pop science podcast on Wikipedia? Um, it makes me want to do an episode that is as detail and policy driven as possible in case people uh, find our podcast and look it up and then try to enjoy it. How, how, it's not for them. How it's technical not can pop. we get? It's not for pop. Pop, if you're listening, piss off. <laughs> Nobody wants you. You're not welcome here. We we're going to get very very technical. Um, look look now that we're past now that we're past a <laughs> hundred, we can do whatever no we want. <laughs> uh, oh, is that right? Is that how numbers work? That's how it works. Right. That's how it works. Yeah, you're not allowed to be my second author. <laughs> We've done a hundred now. He can yeah. What's the H index of our podcast, Dan? You and your metrics. H, H, H podcast. H. H. Index. H. Oh, Catholic school. <laughs> yeah. H. Yeah. So we're um um. This was actually a um uh, an entry on Wikipedia on Elizabeth. Bix page, which is cool. It's great that Elizabeth yes. has a has a um has a Wikipedia page. She's doing could some really, really not good stuff. Be, could not be more deserved. I'm in favor of uh, turning large chunks of Wikipedia over to descriptions of her work. She is one of my heroes. I follow everything that she does. Um, can you be like a, a fan of work like that? I, I mean, think she yeah, has a there's, Patreon there's, account. I think she does. Really? Yeah. Well, you wanted faces for reaction gifts. That's me getting surprised. I'm yeah. gonna have to look that up. Check, check it out. Um, you can support. If she, though, can you put? Can you put that in the show notes? I if will. We've got that. I will. Which that's is that's um, kind of that's dope. Okay. Um. Well, geez, oh, look, look at me outing myself. Not enough of a fan to know that, James. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, I've stepped in it now. What's going on in Herringtown, Daniel? Well, we um uh I I saw this um. Recently, there was a letter 
which came – we spoke about this letter with um, the consortium of publishers that came out uh, on the 23rd of December trying to sneak this one in before Christmas, um, which was uh, basically uh, saying that um, – <laughs> Don't make don't make science open. Um, go, we, you can go back to that episode that we talk about that. Um, but they said a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, um, and a lot of people weren't happy um, with a lot of the organisations that were saying these things. <laughs> to <laughs> say the least, people, to say the least, a lot of people weren't happy. Um, yeah, even the, the the couple of days that it took to get started, I would say there was a strong online and offline persistent negative backlash. I had conversations about this in my real life with people I won't drop in it who are not either listeners to our podcast or members of the science social media. What's the what's the gender neutral word for fraternity? Community? Community? Yeah, community. Oh, I was reading something and it had a fraternity in it earlier. They sound awful. Um <laughs> I got the word on the brain. Um yeah, so nobody liked that, but something happened, Daniel. Something happened. Yeah, the APS has written an apology letter, and what is what I'm really impressed with is it isn't it isn't some mealy mouthed apology where we're like, oh, we're sorry that we offended people. Um, it it is it is a genuine uh, admission that they made the wrong call, um, and I, I applaud them for that. Uh, it, it was signed by um, um, Lisa Philbin Barrett. Who is Hi, Lisa. Um, on, on behalf of the board, um, and I think this was uh, this this is fantastic. So, what do you what do you think about this, James? That the that the APS, um, who um, compared to the other big uh, association for for psychological science, are seen as the good folks in this, uh, and that's I think that, that's why a lot of people were disappointed. A lot of people were actually disappointed that they signed onto it originally. Uh, so to see them uh, make this apology um, and um, Basically, reestablish what their stand is. Uh, I, I think is very commendable. What, what do you think? Well, I, look, it's, 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 everyone obviously uh, it says says their piece without considering the kind of background about how a large organization makes a decision in a hurry. I imagine that they didn't have any broader consultation with their members when it came to how are we going to sign this thing in the first place. They had some general kind of reaction to. You know, look, when someone's, if, when you're the president and you're contemplating an executive order, you don't contemplate it for a year and a half. You don't go, oh, I'm thinking about it and then get around to it. An executive order, like you sign it and it's done. So the whole process is characterized by immediacy. And the response to which, if there even is one in the first place, or which I've seen zero evidence of, but it was just, it was one of those things that I, I presume because uh, the APS has uh, lobbyists on payroll. Um, they have some someone represents them within the the, the halls of the Washingtons. Uh, they found out that this was mooted and then wanted to get a rapid response in without really thinking the substance through of it a great deal because there has been a fairly strong move within certainly within the journals that they publish, but I mean also within the the, the people who they consider for appointments and like how they've conducted their conferences and what they've chosen to pay attention to. There's been a, a, a an appreciable appreciation of reform within the APS. Mm. So I'm not surprised that they apologize. There's one piece of this letter that interested me more than anything else. And it's the fact that right towards the end, they said, okay, you know what we should do? We should take a really good hard look at different revenue models for making a, a scientific society function in the first place. 
because you can look. I I, I looked it up when this happened. I mean, this is you know, everyone's upset on the internet, so I don't have a lot of enduring interest in that. I like to get upset about my stuff, um, you know. So I'm not big on pylons in general, no matter who it's on, unless it's on me. Don't do that. Um, so I looked up the uh, every nonprofit in the U.S. Uh, has to do a public tax filing. So I looked up their public tax filing to try and like find out how much money we're talking about here. And it's a lot. I think it was eight or nine hundred thousand dollars that is the financial agreement for publishing the content of the APS bundle of journals. But how does that compare to their pool, their general pool of income? Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the figures because we didn't prepare this topic, leaving me zero opportunity to look prepared. And thank you for asking. By thank you, I mean up yours. Ball, ball park, um, do you remember? Because oh, that makes shit. that makes a big difference. Um, yeah, I know. Look, if it's a, if it's a ten million dollar uh, top line, it's very different to if it's like a two or three million dollar top line. I think it's on the lower end of that. Okay. Um. Because I mean, there's lot, there's lot, there's lots of things that they do. But what the, what they said in the letter, Daniel, Captain Sidetrack, was that they are committed to looking at and exploring alternative revenue models. And I thought, okay, so if you're actually serious about the idea of, we need to, what it would be in the best interest, and probably by it would have support amongst our membership to decouple our publishing process from the financial interest of a company that publishes stuff for money, even if they pay us. What are our alternatives? And that is really interesting because I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. I'm far too young to make these decisions. Ha <laughs> um, ha. But. If they turn up anything really good, that is that's literally what the crux of the whole thing is. If you take away the publishing agreement, that's where all the money's coming in from the publisher to the organization in the first place, then there's a great big hole. No nonprofits don't operate and they're a nonprofit organization, essentially, right? Nonprofits don't operate with great big holes. They die. Um, they end up like wrapping up and I don't know how they distribute their assets. They like sell them to Garrett anyone sale. whose name starts with a Q who walks down the road when they're throwing all the desks on the curb. I have no idea. But that is something that you have to do. It's the just the basic mechanics of running an organization. So I saw that and I thought, oh, okay, that's what you'd say if you gave this topic some thought and you thought, how are we going to approach this? As a, as a reasonably large organization. So overall, good letter. Interesting uh, interesting response. Everyone was sort of, ah, I, I forgive you. And a, a, a lot of people who are not members of the APS. Um, a lot of people who aren't members of the APS or got their knives out for everyone else who was from their own, you know, all right, you see this American chemical society, yeah. I don't know what that was them, Amer- American uh, geochemists with inverted nipples. Do you fuckers see this? It's it's possible to have a mature response to this situation and, you know, not, not be beholden to other people's financial interests, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's, that's funny. Yeah. I, I always I always like to see random people uh, giving large organizations a hard time, yeah. especially when they do it off their own bat, especially when it's not popular. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Go, go ahead and pick your own fights, internet. Come on. It's easy enough. There's lots of things to hit, you know? <laughs> Look, I'm really curious as to what 
potential alternatives that they, they come up with. Um, the, the other mm. thing is actually thinking about what what is their what is their broader mission. Uh, I think we have spoken about this recently, but sometimes I look at a society and I ask the the the, the genuine question: What is this, what does the society actually do? Because um, sometimes, like I don't, especially with more small societies, I don't actually see the see the benefits. Um, so if the, if there's a way that they could potentially um, scale back with what they're doing, then then maybe that's a solution. I don't know. Maybe because I'm not in the states, and I think that that's one potential complaint as well. And one complaint of the letter is that this is a big middle finger to researchers that are out of the states, uh, and it basically confirms a lot of people's fears or a lot of people's concern that a lot of these organizations don't necessarily represent what's happening outside of the states. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what that leads us. You- well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a common misconception. I mean, the APS is the Association of Psychological Science. I think everyone assumes that the A stands for American at, at, at some level. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. And yes, it's supposed to be an international organization. And the original thrust of that letter was, you're, you're ruining American corporate yeah. competitiveness. And everyone who is, of course, not American went, I don't give two red shits about your American corporate competitiveness. I do science as a job. It's supposed to be for everyone. I'm not from there. This could not be representing my interests less if it tried. Look, to play the cynic, um, if I was a smart lobbyist right now- You? (laughs) Yeah, me playing the cynic. If if, if I was the the lobbyist that was probably behind writing this, I would be- What was the adjective you used to describe yourself in this putative role? I don't know. You just said smart- and then you forgot it 10 I for- seconds I later, it. making I- you not very smart, Daniel. Not at all. Yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I- I've-, I've-, I've been lecturing today. I- I'm-, I'm-, I'm spent. Look. They um, let you talk to children. I t- yeah, I talked to I talked to uh, I talked to some master students about the um the the, the good news of open science. Um, but look, that <laughs> we're getting sidetracked. Look, if I was a lobbyist and who, who wrote this, and let's be honest, by the sounds of how it was written, it probably was a lobbyist. Um, I, I'd be appealing to Trump's nationalism or Trump's team's nationalism. So I think that um, idea that um, this is um, this is going to destroy America was speaking to that rather than the actual interests of the organizations. And look, it, it, okay, it- yeah, so fine, it's a strategic move, but there's other strategic moves that are equally strategic where you have to say you 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 can say that in terms of you say, well, look, we have an international interest in this, couched in terms of the fact that this is harmful to your specific interests. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they, I mean, it, it feels like it was written, but you know, people who are good but in a hurry. So yeah, obviously that's wildly inexact, and you can see why everyone yelled at them. Anyway, this was going to be two minute hurts, and now you've dragged it out to I'm I'm checking the time because we're ten, structured now. Oh my ten, god! Ten minute hurts. Oh my! Ten minute hurts. What are you doing? Yeah, the wh- you horrible man. Hundred episodes. This, this is this is what happens. This is what happens when you're a pop science podcast. Well, this is what happens. You entered science because you're fascinated by it. See, that's the problem. And your fascination has turned into blowing up our schedule. <laughs> Look, this that, that brings us to our next topic, which was a- um, which See, was, that's how you do a fucking segue, that's, that's, you that, big-headed that's freak. A, that's a segue. I saw the, I saw the <laughs> glint in your eye. Uh, there was a um, there was an article that was promoted mm. on um, on Twitter, which was talking um, about a, a quote or an interview with a Nobel Prize winner, and it was talking about this idea of um, doing science for for the love of it. Yeah. Before we get into mm. that, I, I'm actually curious. I, I don't know. How, 
I, I don't think I've actually asked you this question before, James, but how, how did you actually get into research, into being a research scientist, sitting where you are right now? What sort of, what led you there? I always wanted to be paid to be clever. I mean, just, you, you, you know, when people are, are five, they have some very clear idea of what they wanted to do. I always had a very amorphous idea of what I wanted to do. And the idea that you could, I, I, I couldn't imagine a life without learning more stuff. And either I didn't have the, you know, in the early 2000s, um, Maybe I didn't have the imagination to try and figure out a different way to do it. Maybe it's because graduate degrees are essentially free in Australia That's and right. I had other interests in my life like beer and death battle. Um, it was it was a natural kind of it was a natural kind of progression. Um, and look, every time I've done consulting stuff since then like in 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 keeping with the theme every time i've done consulting stuff since the sort of like a trip through graduate student to postgraduate whatever um i always appreciated the role of like i i like knowing a lot and telling people for monetary compensation so every time i got to be a consultant i've enjoyed even the situation i didn't necessarily have the right kind of answer or do my sort of best possible try to try to help as much as possible uh r- roll in talk shake hands do a thing and leave i've always loved that i always wanted to be clever for money um psychology was just interesting initially and um i became disillusioned with it way before it was cool <laughs> <laughs> no really um that's where that's where the interest in physiology and signal analysis and metascience and everything else came from. Is that you start off, you're in a psychology department, you do a psychology degree, and you look at everything that's going on around you and think, this has no it's not this has no emotional resonance with me, but I don't there's a level past which I don't trust this. I don't like your operationalization, I don't like your models, I don't like your uh, how how weak your theories are for saying one thing's connected to something else. And then you figure out that some people are completely full of shit. And then you think, oh, okay, well, I'll move as far as possible within this space without actually doing that anymore. And also I get to do anything I want to. I mean, the vast majority of the work that I've done has been totally self-directed. I've been oddly, weirdly, persistently, like, lonely in most of the work that I've done. What about our time never been in closely the office, supervised. I've never Does that mean really nothing to you? It. We weren't working on the same stuff, Daniel. We were working Proof. on different projects, which was occasionally punctuated by me hectoring you into an early <laughs> grave, except that didn't work. No, I'm alive and kidding. Anyway, that was a really long answer to the question, but it's our podcast. Fuck you. Yeah, um, you know what we want. Why did, we, why did you ask the question? No, because because we're, t- we're talking about why people actually do why people actually do science. I want to talk about this thing because um, uh, I think this idea that you should be doing science for the love of it is what contributes to a lot of the exploitation that we see. We know that the salaries are low, comparatively speaking, when you compare it to industry. So, people aren't necessarily doing it for the salaries, um, but they're doing it because they, they're genuinely curious. But 
this genuine curiosity, I think, is what's leading to exploitation and this idea that this is what I should be doing. And you often hear things like it's it's a calling. Uh, and uh, on the one hand, yeah, that, that that's a big motivator and that's a good thing. But I think it's uh, it, it can lead to exploitation. I, I saw a tweet earlier today where someone was saying that um, – uh, they they applied for a position and there was a, there was five hundred applicants for a single position. Uh, now that that that's what, sorry, what, 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 that's not it's not at all. If that's like a, 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 a tenure track Ivy Leaguey kind of job, that would be fine. Yeah, yeah, that'd be normal. That that that's be normal for years. What kind of job? Uh, I think I think it was some sort of humanities thing. So it said so, so the humanities when, when it comes to positions in, in, in that regard, it's it, it's it's pretty normal. Um, but so you have a situation here where you have a lot of people who are working essentially for peanuts, um, who who still want to continue doing this, um, and in, in a weird way, it's almost like a, it's almost like a pyramid scheme. But it comes back to this idea that well, you've moved from science to academia in general, but I'll let that slide. It comes back yeah, to what? yeah, yeah. It, it, it comes back to this idea that um, people are much more open to be exploited if it comes back to the love of it. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, but then oh, I don't know. I saw something. Um, Tal Yarconi said something really interesting a few years ago. I think it was a few years ago that really stuck for me. And people were having this very discussion about these things. I see a little smile coming across your face. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and he and people were talking about oh you know um, science needs to be needs to be more accommodating. Uh, and then he wrote, well, it's not a jobs program. Science is not a jobs program. Um, uh, science, science, you know, pe- people just need to be doing science, and um, just because you want to do it doesn't mean you should be doing it. What, what do you think about that? Well, there's a certain there's a certain amount of wisdom to that. You can you can overload on tell stuff when he's on his forty uh, seventh tweet yeah. in a row. I, I have I, a name. I have a name for that. Uh, putting me to sleep. I call it yarcolepsy. Yeah. <laughs> Is that public? Tell, <laughs> tell, tell doesn't, tell doesn't, tell doesn't listen to this. So, but yeah. someone will tell him. Someone tell I him. love you, tell you, weird little man. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, if you start from a structural level, there's obviously way, way, way more people going into the funnel at the top end of professional academia everywhere than are coming out the other side and actually doing it. So we're we're already dealing from a, a baseline situation where there's a colossal mismatch between the amount of people that go in and the amount of people who are rolling through the other side and continuing to do it in the capacity which they have imagined. I saw a survey on this a little while ago. I think it was somewhere between sort of two-thirds to three-quarters of people. Uh, I think it was multi-topic. So that makes it a lot worse because there's an awful lot of uh there's an awful lot of subjects where you do a graduate degree and then you roll out and you're not expected to work within formal academia. So, I mean, that's a lot of them. If you're a clinical psychologist, you're like, oh, I, I really want to be a researcher as well. Yeah, why not have two demons in your life? That's a great <laughs> idea. You've, you've got two shoulders. You might as well. Um, so, that's reasonably unusual. Um, law, no. Um, and a lot of specific engineering fields, like mining. It's, yeah, almost everyone who does uh, mining, uh, geothermal, uh, a lot of sort of geography flavored stuff as well, uh, ends up going into digging shit out of the ground. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, a, it's, I think that's the easiest place. It's the place where the, the, the odds are in your favor, to quote, um, the fucking whoever that was, uh, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> um, fucking Clive Cussler, I don't know, whoever that was. Um, 
Wait, stop laughing. You don't know anything about pop culture. Stop judging me. This isn't a pop science podcast, Daniel. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's the uh, it's it's the Hunger Games, mate, which I which I'm reading in reading in Norwegian because it's about my level. <laughs> the Hunger Games, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, with uh, what's his name? Uh, the Cat Catness, oh. the author. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. That's Catness. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was Cactus the first yeah. time I heard that. I remember. Yeah. He gave yeah, cactuses. What? No, never mind. In Australia, of course, cactus means broken. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, so, she's, she's cactus, mate. Yep. Okay. So, look, I, t- yeah, look, Tal's, Tal's absolutely got a point. The problem is, yeah, look, it's not, it's not a jobs program. You're not owed or deserved anything, right? You aren't really anywhere. Um, all we, we're talking about is the, the the kind of mismatch between the amount of people who could have a reasonable expectation of being able to do it, how it's structured, and what they're told, and what ends up getting rolled out the other side. So, yeah, point made. I couldn't bring myself to get too upset about this. I mean, what do you what do you think? Some people who are gonna, you've got to make a Nobel Prize speech and say stuff in the first place. Of course, you've got to trade on your highest aspirations. Mm. And of course, no, yeah, because you know, I mean, I I think I mocked this statement by saying I I got into science to steal the free alcohol wipes. <laughs> It's just sort of, what did you expect him to say? Also, if you're such a fucking humanitarian and you're in it for the money, um, why don't you just, why don't you give the prize money back? Yeah, you know, donate it to Sips. If it doesn't, if it doesn't matter, yeah, there you go. They're like fuck our bursary. Let's see the Nobel yeah, Prize. Yeah. So I want to see a, I want to see a, a, a few people Sips from the global south. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, set that shit up. Melt that melt that metal down into ingot, sell it to a jeweler, <laughs> and then send the money for me to buy mad science swag. Yeah, you know, it, it's yeah. What 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 did you expect? I mean, mm. it, it, this is obviously something's worked out, but. Everything's everything's shot through uncertainties the whole way through from start to finish. I mean, every time there's a Nobel Prize, people are arguing about whether or not they should be in that fir- in, in a, that position in the first place. Economists were all pissed off because um, uh, this uh, the 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 team that won this year were actually doing practical economics. Yeah. They were actually, um, uh, you know, doing some going real out stuff. into going Help, going out helping. into the world and actually doing interventions and helping. I think they were even helping poor people. Yeah. Dan, oh, everyone knows economists should sit in a room, a uh, room like coat, leather patches. Even the room has leather patches. They have an old dog. The dog has leather patches. A fireplace. You 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 get the story. I mean, the patches singe up, but I mean, what else are you going to spend your grant money on if it's not replacing the leather patches on your fireplace? Um, yeah, there was uh, a, a few people throwing rocks at oh, the smallest of the ideas, actually going out and fucking helping people using economic theory. My God, will the peasantry of these Nobel people ever end? So the whole, basically, the whole thing shot through with uncertainty and. Uh, when you have the combination of luck, circumstance, and probably skill from time to time that means you end up at the top of the science pile, you're not going to go, oh, well, it was an arbitrary decision. I made it to keep my mom happy because I didn't get it, it get into becoming a fucking lawyer. Like, no one ever, no one says that. Everyone retrospectivizes the shit they do. And usually when you do it at a, at a level that's high enough, you come out with a grand motive or motivation. So, you know, I can't get too fucked off about it. Welcome to 2020. It's the Methodological Terror Zone. As research progresses and we find out more about 
the best way to deploy the measurements that we take from the world. A series of concerns have arisen around whether or not data collected in survey platforms on the internet to do research is representative, ethical, and trustworthy. One company who is endeavouring to answer those specific questions, which are pretty good questions, is Prolific.co. Go to Prolific.co slash Everything Hurts and get $50 of free trial credit and pilot yourself a study. See what you can find. There's no risk except maybe, well, maybe the arse will fall straight out of your favourite hypothesis and you'll have to start thinking about what you're researching from scratch. Sorry about that, but disappointment can be more accurately yours and sooner and in a more trustworthy manner with Prolific.co, the exclusive supporter of the Everything Hurts podcast. Welcome back to everything. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? Welcome back to Everything Hurts. James, you sent me an interesting paper on okay. Saturday morning. You did send me an interesting paper on Saturday morning and I saw the title. Yes, I did. I saw the title. You saw the title and then you didn't read it because you're an arsehole. I saw the title and read the abstract and I'm like, this this is this is right up Heather's, Heather's wheelhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. t- tell us tell us about this this article, which has a very provocative title. I love a good provocative title, except when it has nothing to do with the rest of the article. Uh, that's a, a thing the other day on- um, as a, a letter that was on, uh, it was confusing pre-registration with registered reports. Um, oh, I saw that. And one. That's a that's yeah, a, it's a the, you know, yeah, it, it, it was it was kind of goofy. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Was it an editorial it was, you know, or a letter? No, it was a letter, and for some reason they published it. But you know, it's much, it's well trodden uh, sh- it's well trodden ground in cloud. general, and it's extremely well trodden ground on this fucking podcast. So let's get to something new. This research paper is called "Should Research Misconduct Be Criminalized?" Question mark. And I talk about fucking catnip. I mean, I read it straight away. So good article goes through all of the, I suppose, codes of conduct. Uh, that are variously deployed uh, throughout the world and then talks about how how much serious uh, problems are detected and what's occasionally done about them and the kind of lack of clarity involved, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really enjoyed reading it. What do you think, Dan? Um, should research misconduct be criminalized, question mark? Uh, yeah, in, 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 in many circumstances. Uh, I think. Uh- most research is funded by the public or by the government, and if you are doing bad things with money, you're misappropriating public funds. Um, there was a story came out a few week ago, <laughs> about a week ago of a professor who blew all his money in, in, in strip clubs, um, <laughs> and it, it, it was very it was very black and white, and that that is. <laughs> There was also a story. <laughs> very, very black and it, it, white. It, it, wasn't right. a, it wasn't a, oh, did you need that right. computer program? Did you really need that book? Uh, oh, did you really need that extra coffee when you were at in a conference? No, this was, uh, this was old mate was in strip clubs. Uh, and there was a story in Norway, which came out last year. <laughs> Thank, thanks to this story, my reporting for my trips has become a lot more stringent thanks, thanks to one bloke um, who decided to take taxis everywhere and absolutely everywhere and racked up a bill um, about 100,000 US. Um, for just just for taxis. What and the heck? Wait, no, wait, 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 sorry. 
what the fuck yeah. kind of taxi? Where, what are you going from, like Indiana to Oregon? <laughs> Look, um, you know, f- first taxis are expensive here. Uh, are and you going from Ghent to Moscow? Um, I don't know. A hundred grand. Yeah, something like that. And oh, sorry, was it a hundred thousand kroner? No, no. Fish bucks. What the, are they again? The, the equivalent of uh, it was about half a million kroners, which is about a hundred thousand. Uh, and oh my good and, sweet fuck. and essentially that is an awful lot of money essentially he was he was taking taxis everywhere like this this was just getting um uh, t- taxis are fine in some circumstances um but how many over what period of time i think this is over a period of, of a couple of years um yeah you'd we'd fucking want to be did he sleep in the taxi we'd like just drive around the block for eight hours i'll put it on my credit card <laughs> it, 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 it was basically uh, apparently i'll have to check the details and put it in the show notes but he, he was using it essentially as a, as, as a private driver um, uh, the story, of, of course, the media jumped on it, um, and uh, it, it was not a good look for the university. I have never heard of such a thing. I can't even, I mean, if you go to somewhere because you were a visiting academic, how often are you driving between sites? Was he like commuting no, no, no. by taxi Commu- yeah, every day? Commuting by taxi every day. That's where it was racked up. So get, right. get get to the office. Sorry, just- um, getting getting to the office. Getting getting home again. Call, call a taxi and um, and putting that on the um, on the tab. Um, so that's another situation where there's there's a misappropriation of funds. I'm not sure what ended up uh, what what ended up there. Um, but yeah, we 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 always hear stories. Um, and I, I see a lot of stories out of the states actually. And I'm sure it's happening everywhere where research funds, um, in a very black and white sense, are being misused um, for, for for other things. Um, look, I, I I don't know what sort of punishment should 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 occur in that case. Um, that's that make him pay it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, at, at, at the very least, because it's coming out of the public purse. Um, but then of of course there are these um these these other areas where you um uh, clear clear breaches of of research ethics. Um, doing experiments that you haven't had approval to do, um, particularly if they're um, if they're dangerous. Look, um, you, yeah, okay. Um, I mean, this 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 is another grey area. Um, what, what constitutes um, something w- which is dangerous? Um, what, what's the difference between you know you, you wouldn't say somebody who forgets to add uh, a, a social science questionnaire to to a study should be thrown in jail i'm not i'm, I'm not saying that but you know r- regardless it's a pretty br- can you say that and get us a few more downloads yeah yeah, yeah. We, could we could this, we this could get a, this some of them internet internet controversy downloads this is our new you didn't p- include the ocean set him on fire. set him on fire this is the new hertz position um if you forget to see <laughs> this is it this is it this, this is our new platform <laughs> you, you heard it here folks <laughs> <laughs> we're pushing for this. We're, we're completely pivoting. Oh, Every episode is going to be. I hope we use the video of this. Like how delighted you looked. I mean, people think I'm a cold, black-hearted bastard. Seriously, Dan, you just hide it better. Look, uh, uh, are you done? Ne- nearly. Th- th- those oh, are the two so main much things. For gray areas. I'm starting to go gray. Th- 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 those, those are two main things. Miss clear, clear misuses of money and um, clear breaches of of ethics in which participants. Uh, are put in in danger. Um, those are situations um, where these things should be should be looked at. Uh, yeah, James, thoughts. Mm. All right. Well, if you tune in just to listen to Dan, you want to probably want to check the fuck out now because I have about ninety thousand thoughts on this. Um, Tell us your opinions. I'm, I'm really. I know it's just. It's, it's it's so rare that anyone asks me, and usually they get them for free. How about that? Okay. Um, 
Well, the first really obvious thing to note is that in a lot of circumstances, there are consequences already. Now, it's quite uncommon for scientists to get punitive measures that are like prison. Uh, when's the last time that happened here? I think Scott Rubin. The that was and that was a good long while ago. Um, for, for doing what? Oh, uh, it's very very serious. Uh, Ferrari pants, and um, I can't remember what happened with the money. Um, there's a, a case in in China recently where that that was actually extremely unclear. And like this guy's misappropriating funds, and what he was doing. Um, was it sounds like a sensible thing to do in the circumstances. What it sounded like he was doing is that grants expire at the end of the year. So in December or something, he'd move all the money into an index fund um, and then count it as an expense and then still actually be able to pay his the people who worked for him because otherwise you have this huge gap. So he was doing it for sort of like funding, funding continuity. Uh, I don't think there was any evidence that he was it's actually, you know, spending, spending. I think we were like the establishment of the guy before, like spending, I think it was 170 grand on lap dances or something. I mean, wow, would you not get bored after the first $1,500? I mean, I can't even walk past a place like that and smell it without going, oh, I really want to. It's just, I don't know. It's obviously, some people don't find it massively distasteful. Ah, that's on them. Greasy fuckers. Um, so... There, there, there is an element. Uh, there is an element to which this is already something that's uh, apparent. If you screw any government over too badly, then it's very definitely illegal. Once you get past a certain amount of money and a certain amount of fraud, because you have to convince some version of the Department of Public Prosecutions, wherever you are, to actually take it up in the first place. Now. We come at that point in time, assuming that that's happened to the huge stumbling block that's here, and that's the university investigation itself. So I was thinking after this happened on Saturday, the problem is, if look, if you're going to set this stuff up and to say nothing of the legal framework and the precedence that would have to be set to be able to do this, that's not for, I took a million dollars and buried it in my backyard, you know? I took a I took a lesser amount of money and used it to employ people that I like, and then I made the data up so the experiment works where I could get another grant, but it wasn't a really large amount of makey uppery, and then it ended up working anyway. It means yeah, yeah. There's your gray area for you. It gets it gets awfully messy. Here's the problem: at any given point in time, right now, a university that is investigating someone will find a way to often shut it down. Uh, turn it off, look the other way, and essentially get past it. I can think off the top of my head of half a dozen examples of initial investigations where everything was everything was basically set up so the eventual outcome would be eh, nothing to see here. It's not a it's not a big deal. Don't worry about that. I mean, it's a, a couple of examples of things that we won't get in trouble for. The initial one-sink investigation was a very quick and very dumb and concluded there was absolutely no problem whatsoever. When they eventually did a proper one, the second one, they found things that I didn't even know was there. 
they found all this other stuff as well. Like, oh, this is laundry list of like this was inappropriate and bad and naughty. I, I don't know what the dynamics were of that behind the scenes. Like, maybe this isn't going to go away, so we have to do our jobs. Could be anything. But what's the purpose of um, the university well, investigation on top of a, a criminal investigation? Because obviously, the criminal well, investigation. Well, so that, 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 where's the criminal investigation going to come from, Dan? The, the, how do you how do you complain to the police about research fraud? There's no way to do that anywhere that I've heard of. Okay, I, right? I'm more talking about misappropriation of funds. Research fraud is a different story. Okay, now now I see what you're getting at. It's literally this is why you should have read the fucking article. It's literally about research misconduct, not research misconduct. As in we 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 threw we threw all the money in a sack and then ran off to uh, Tajikistan to live on a hill. It's not about that. It's about FFP based problems in science. Right, it's talking about retractions and uh, the NHMRC Australian Code and uh, Netherlands Code of Conduct and things of that nature. So the bottleneck right? is the university investigation. Okay. Okay. So the problem is, is that this is supposed to be like a lot of other things where there's regulatory bodies that don't work. Um, this is supposed to be something a university handles. So what the the Kachigian investigation recently, and it turns out to be five separate investigations to the guy. Right, who was very obviously uh, doing a lot of problematic research over a long period of time, and all of those investigations said, according to the remit that we set, there's actually not a problem. And the answer to like how did that happen is it's all about the remit, right? So if you think, oh, she got her paper retracted, he got fired. He got in a bunch of trouble. Uh, he got stuck on the, the little NIH list of people we can't give money to because there's an ORI investigation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Is that bad press for the university? Do they try and avoid that? Yes. Okay. How about someone going to fucking prison? Is that worse press? Yes. He did so much fraud, we had to send him to the chokey. Oh, no. Right. So you are relying on universities to start and then prosecute, and then hand over the evidence that will be a bigger problem for them in how they represent themselves publicly than what's actually happening now, and they already obfuscate the shit out of a whole bunch of different internal investigations. I was thinking I'd go and get an example of this to prepare for this podcast, Dan, and then a new one came up on BuzzFeed between Saturday and this evening. Do tell. Um, actually, we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put this one in the show notes because this is an this is an absolute ripper. This is a uh, where where is it? Uh, King's King's College. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw this one. Yeah, um, the 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 Latchman case. Yeah, when when was uh when was what? Was it, uh, maybe someone was just talking about it. A lot of this was a lot of this was established. I mean, there's a bunch of different investigations, but uh, the thing that uh, someone managed to figure out was that there were discussions about okay, well, this data can't exist like ten years or something before there was any serious. Uh, yeah, yeah, here, here you go. Data from a top geneticist lab was flagged to a major UK university. It didn't launch a formal investigation until a decade later. Okay, so in that environment, you're going to hang prosecutions off the back of that. Yeah. So when you say we're going to criminalize this. You have to have an enormously different internal structure by which that information is found out, 
codified, cut up, turned into a criminal case and then prosecuted, which is also super expensive, right? It's easy when you when you've got like a someone who's doing uh, like corporate grantee fraud, which is which happens from from time to time, especially here. Someone gets a business innovation grant, and then they uh, they spend spend all the money on finger spinners. Yes, those things a lot of the time are very easy to investigate. Easier certainly, but courts also have a notoriously poor understanding of how science works and what the strength of evidence is. Um, and there's lots of people who are expert witnesses who are morons, who go around expert witnessing all over the place, uh, who are neither expert nor witnesses. So here's an oblique example. What's your position on the death penalty? I don't agree with the death penalty. Why not? Uh, we sh- it's not up to the government to, 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 <laughs> to decide who lives and dies. Life and pre- So do you, do you have a moral problem with the death yes, penalty? Yes, yes. Okay. So I don't have any problem with the death. Well, penalty. and and doesn't work a, as a deterrence, but I have a more. Yeah, but sorry, go on. Oh yeah, that's the. This is a, the, the, the the idea that occasionally we need to shoot someone. Is, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm jaded from twenty something years of a continual soundtrack of planetary destruction. Um, I don't have any problem with that, but I would never, ever, ever support its practical implementation. Because there's the, the, the position on that's really clear. The way that it's handed out is deeply unfair and changes a great deal, especially in the, the, the US from state to state. I'm sure it does elsewhere as well. You've got like local jurisdictions of, of whatever else. Yeah. Mm. So it has a, it has a, an element where people who can't afford to defend themselves are disproportionately punished. And that brings in a whole bunch of uh, other horrible shit with it. Um, it's also, I mean, there's lots of evidence of, you, you know, the DA is trying to get reelected. So they push for it to make something, to, to make an undoable outcome. And then, of course, you try and, uh, you try and figure that out on the back end. So the, the idea of having a process to be able to make that determination is the problem. It's not the actual thing in and of itself. I wonder if there's many people, like, what I'm saying is, who is it in a situation like this? Who is it practical to prosecute? It's going to be cases like our dude who's spending all the money on lap dancers. Slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes it really easy. It's like when you walk into the room and the guy's holding the bloody knife. Yeah, and there's four dead nuns, and he says, "I'm glad I killed the penguins." Ha ha ha. Right? Yeah. That's that's a very easy case to make because of literally everything I just said, but. You're gonna start handing it out. You're gonna start handing it out wrong. And I don't. I don't even know if you are you allowed to. If you've got a criminal record, are you allowed to apply for grants? There's probably a whole bunch of stuff that you're not eligible to apply for. Well, certainly it's gonna it's gonna affect if you've got a uh, a visa or a permanent residency somewhere. It's a problem. Um, but- if a various various jobs to have it in the first place. So you're uh, working with uh, like sensitive biologics or children or shit like that. Huge problem. Um, some some societies to to join. Big problem. Um, I don't know if there's if you're probably not allowed to have a criminal record and be a lawyer. Um, so you know, good luck with but that. N- or a doctor, maybe. I don't know. Nowhere on these forms does it say, um, "Have you been? Uh, do you have a criminal record?" As far as I know. Um, but I think uh, one of the punishments that I've seen for people who have been um, charged with research misconduct is that you cannot apply for a grant from this organisation for for, for X amount of time. That that I've oh, seen. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's that's reasonably common at a variety, especially of government funding bodies. Yeah. I don't know about private. Um, so we find ourselves in a situation where you know this is it's an interesting discussion to have. I'm glad they wrote this paper. Um, if I had to write an equivalent paper, it would not be on this topic framed like this. It feels like a sideline discussion to me of the thing that goes in the middle, which is how should this be resolved at a national level? And the answer is past a certain point, the investigations need to be independent of the university. Yes. They can't involve your colleague and your dean and your school, you know? Oh, 18 months ago, there was a press release about, oh, we're so glad we hired her. She's such an amazing member of our faculty. And they throw a little party. And then 18 months later, you're like, do you want to check all her stuff because she's horribly dodgy? Uh, no. No, we don't. Look, I- So there needs, there needs to be a way of making these determinations that is decoupled from People who have incredibly strong vested interests to have the investigation conclude that everything is fine. If we're talking about how are we going to understand and mete out punishment for these things, there needs to be a process for establishing the evidence in the first place. We're nowhere near having anywhere. We're nowhere near having a chain of like establishing establishing independent bodies of interconnected scientific evidence about a problem. That is a job that I would gladly do. The, uh, you know, the- someone gave me a department for doing that. Yeah, but Jesus Christ, I'm already doing independent investigations. It's not, it's not paid on for it. so it's just no, I'm not, get- <laughs> I'm not getting paid for it. Of course, I can't prosecute anyone. So the whole fun idea <laughs> well, is you're that, th- knock, knock on their door, mate. Think you think you're the self-appointed police? You go, oh yes, with all my authority, with your, with your sash. Uh, look, yeah. I-, I think that's a good idea. No, I've made myself a little hat. You make yourself. A little- I've got so much authority. These things, uh, I think it's a good idea. Um, obviously. Such a thing would cost money, but I think if you were a national authority, the money spent on this would actually be worth it because this sort of thing would actually be, um, I think, would be a useful deterrent for actually doing these things. If you know my uni, my mate who's on the committee isn't going to save me, my uni's not going to save me because I'm going to go to the national independent arbiter who's going to be looking at this case. So, it's going to be expensive. Doing a proper investigation is expensive, Mm. um, but I think it's for the government or the funders' interests to have a certain thing because in the end, this sort of thing is going to improve science. Well, yeah, there's that. And there's also also a body of law in the US that means the government can prosecute you under the- you can get prosecuted under the False Claims Act for misusing public funds. And then the university has to pay the government back for Mm. all the funds that it asked for. Um, I that would be a fine thing everywhere. I mean, so you get prosecuted through something like this. You ask for a million and a half dollars. The way it works in the US is it's like basically, okay, I apply for a grant. I use the grant money to do fraudy research and waste everyone's time. If the government prosecutes me under the FCA, my maximum liability is three times that amount of money going back to the government from not the individual researcher, the institution. So at that point in time, they owe the government four and a half big ones. Now, if that's the case and you just had that and that was more common, 
Would that be additional pressure for universities to do shit investigations into research misconduct? Yes, it would. So again, what do you need? You need a way of doing this that does not involve the fox watching the goddamn hen house. That's, that's the issue. It's the only sensible discussion to have in the in the in the the idea of how this would fit together. I mean, I'm neither capable of discussing nor well it feels incredibly premature to discuss what would the individual laws be how do you start fitting up a legal framework to a framework of scientific malfeasance that's actually a very complicated question um and if you know someone who's in academic law we can have them on as a guest and they can start to think about how some shit like that would work there's obviously precedent but there's also lots of things that i'm sure no one's ever ruled on because you know how precedent works in law right so a lot of that stuff would need to be established. You'd need to, I mean, you may need to invent new crimes, Dan. <laughs> Sounds like a movie. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, here's the other problem. The world's full of different countries with different legal yeah. systems that operate differently. Everyone has to do So, that, yeah. well, I mean, I've done a lot of this work here, so my answers are somewhat Uncle Sam-centric, and that in no way removes the complexity of thinking about, well, how does this happen in Belgium? How does this happen in Belarus? How does this happen in Belize? Why am I picking B countries? Bolivia, all the B countries. Look, before we finish- Yes, how does this happen specifically in B countries? Before, before we finish up, I do want to tell a, a, a misuse of, of a fun story. Um, I used to, when I caught the bus back at Sydney Uni, um, occasionally I caught it with this super friendly bloke who worked in finance. And I was chatting to him, I'm like, mate, how's your day? He's like, yeah, we had a bit of a heart attack um, because we were going through some of the accounts and we, we were looking through the physics account and we saw that they purchased four jet skis and we're like, we, we called them up going, what's going on? And they're like, no, this has to be a mistake. They actually found out they'd mixed up the marine biology account with the physics account. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, all right, jet skis, cool. Go, go, go ahead. Keep spending money on jet skis. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely need those to do reef work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a what a what a dope place to do research. Yeah, oh, that is pretty cool. So, yeah, that's what you, you always, see. Oh, they've also bought scuba equipment. Yeah. Those motherfuckers. What are they? What are, what are those physics types doing? Anyway, never trust a physicist. Never trust a physicist. <laughs> uh, all right. So before before we um, finish up, we'll- hang on. No, no, no. Be fuck you before we finish up. <laughs> um, uh, I would be interested in hearing other people's, especially more oblique observations on the content of this paper. Um, I put papers on a pedestal when they kind of provoke thoughts rather than whether or not they're necessarily really good or bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, especially with this, this is a kind of a review-y, position-y sort of paper. So, everyone, everyone agrees that fraud is naughty and there's obviously lots of ways to understand under all present legal systems, fraud is naughty. What happens when we start to push it into this particular domain? What are the dangers and what needs to? I mean, I've just spent 20 minutes fucking on about the idea that establishing an evidentiary process here is impossible when the university is essentially investigating itself. I mean, when chemical companies do that, everyone who wears organic sandals over here hits the roof. And you can see their point because self-regulation is... It's it's not a thing. Self-regulation is like self-plagiarism. Okay, well, you've just you just said 
it's in your interests to investigate yourself. It's not, you know, like copying your own stuff. That's what we call it text recycling and not self-plagiarism because the words don't make sense in order. So, you know, I've shitted on a lot about self-regulation and why I think it's ridiculous. Um, there's going to be a lot of other stuff. I'd like to see it all unpacked. Yeah. So if you're on the twats or send me an email, this is, I want to, I, I want to talk about this and don't talk to me about the ORI. Let us know. And yeah, well, they prosecute one case every 27 years or something like that. Do you remember the Duke case from a few years ago? Mm. Uh, Duke ended up uh, owing the government. That's, that was a false claims act. Mm. Um, they owed the American government a $112.5 million because of a whole bunch of research fraud wow. um, coming out of an interconnected series of labs at Duke, and they had to pay that back. The ORI only recently finished figuring out everything that was wrong and all the individual problems and all the individual papers, etc. I mean, I'm sure they're doing their best, but it feels utterly without resources and kind of as this sort of policy backwater where very little seems to happen and it goes into the kind of general dismissive inaction that you see everywhere else when it comes to talking about issues like this. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to talk about that. Um, they annoy me, but everything else, yeah, bring it. Um, get in contact. Let's see how you'd let's see how you'd handle this. So, big props to the authors. Good paper, worth talking about. I hope someone buys you a beer. Now you can sign us out, uh, man in a hurry. Before before we before we sign out, we're going to do a, a semi regular segment um, where where James or I nominate someone to get into the sea. Um, and this prize is Dan. Yeah, Dan, you sound like you've just learned English. Get, it's not get into the get sea. Get in the sea. It's get in the get sea. Get in the sea. <laughs> get in the sea. This uh, once more. Get in once more. Get in the sea, people. There you go. We are nominating. You don't have to use that intonation. We got you that. Just have to say the words. We are nominating people to get in the sea, and and, and today I'm nominating <laughs> someone to get in the sea. In the sea, in yes, the sea. Yes. No, hang on, hang on. Back it up just one second. Before Dan nominates someone to get in the sea, I want to say not only is this his idea, but he's the one who's doing the nomination. This has nothing to do with yeah, me. This, I saw this. Nothing to do with I, me. I thought- Lots of people I want to throw in the ocean haven't even mentioned it. Today's dose of negativity comes from Dr. Quintana. Uh, so this is a tweet. Um, that w- we're not nominating the person who wrote the tweet to get in the sea. <laughs> I want to. I, I want to. I want to. Bit unfair. I want to em- emphasize that. So um, uh, Manuel Hetzel um, tweeted a few days ago um, that uh, an editorial office of a tropical medicine journal was asking for peer review suggestions, which is, which is which is fine, which is which happens, and but they explicitly stated they should not be from a developing country. Editor, editorial uh, office, get in the sea. Get back to uh, the 1800s. <laughs> they wouldn't even that bad then. So, uh, there's so many aspects of that annoy, that annoy me. We do not have the time. Um, you know, you vet your own reviewers, you lazy slack sons of... Uh, yeah, C. That journal, C. Editor, C. Splishy, splashy. Bye now. On that note, we're going to finish up with that episode. Uh, Thanks for listening. We are going to be back in two weeks' time. Until then. Yeah, that's it. Hey, do you know what we could call this episode? Room 101.
Nah, it doesn't make sense in context. Screw it. See ya.